I am so excited about this morning. I want to pray. I, guys, when we, we've started prayer uh, three weeks ago now, three weeks ago now, and I'll tell you, it's changing, it's changing my life, like during the week. It's changing a lot of what's going on for me, and I, I'm so excited for it, um, and I, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really, um, I'm really, I feel privileged to be a part of what God is going to do here. He has some real special plans, and it's so, so significant, and I'm just really thankful you guys are here this morning to share in it. So let's pray, and then we'll start. So Father, we love you so, so much. Jesus, we love you so much. You're such a good friend. You're such a good father to us. You're so faithful to look over kind of the edge of heaven at our life and, and look at us with wonder and awe because you see us in all the circumstances we're in and you see the faith in our hearts and you're so overwhelmed by that faith that we have, like reaching back up to you when it's hard and when it hurts and you look down at us and you say, that's my kid, that's my boy. And we're just thankful, God, that you're that kind of father. You're that kind of friend to us and that you look out over the world and you see us and you love us and you have plans for us. And, and God, we're excited for the plans you have for this church and this region. We're excited for our own lives and what you're looking forward to in them. And, and we ask you, God, just to stir our hearts this morning um, to be a part of a bigger thing that you're beginning here and in this area. We love you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so we, we went through the cycle of introducing, like, all of our leaders. Are you, were you guys happy with those people? I hope so. <laughs> and if you're not, I, it's okay. You'll get over it. I'm not going to change my mind. Those people, we're so, we're so pumped about the, the people that are leading the different groups. And, and they're so the right people in this season. And for those of you who still have like, I want to I lead and be a part, you're, it's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. There's plenty, plenty that we're going to be evolving into here. But for those four kind of weeks of introducing the topics and the people, I was just thankful because I saw so much humility in the people that were talking I saw so much like joy from you guys, like celebrating them back. And so to me, that's what this is all about. It's like us as family trying to figure out how to leap forward into greater things in God. And we know that we can't do that on our own. We just can't. It's not possible. We need support. We need affirmation. We need strength. We need correction. We need all the stuff from each other. And so I've encouraged them, just correct everybody all the time. That's all. That's what, just, just walk around and tell them they're doing it wrong. That's, that was my advice to them. So see how that, let me know how that goes. Um, they were really excited about that. But so coming out of the introduction of the different departments and what we're focusing on, I, I'm really excited for these next, this next season. So we're going to be talking about prayer. And I'm going to talk this week, Sophia's going to talk next week, and we may keep talking about prayer for a while. I just, we're going to call it a series on prayer, and I have no idea how long it's going to go, maybe two weeks or 12, I, I'm not sure. Um, but I feel like it's important for us to lay a foundation with prayer. I saw a picture of Jesus like walking into our, our, our group, and I saw it was like dark, and he was lighting, we were lighting lights as he was approaching kind of like a runway, and the first light we lit was prayer. And it was, it was like the very first thing that he had us focusing on. And it was really foundational to who we're going to become as a group. The second was worship. And so once we get through with the prayer series, we'll get into the worship series. That could go on for months too. I love worship. And then it was praise. And I think it's really significant that there's a difference between worship and praise. And we're graduating towards praise. And so we'll get there. We'll get there. So I'm just excited over the next course, course of the next couple months. These are foundational things. There's nothing basic about those things. And I, I want to emphasize that. There's nothing basic about prayer. Um, today, I, I'm going to talk to you about prayer by talking about um, Moses a little bit out of Deuteronomy. But the idea that prayer is something you kind of learn at the beginning and it's something you just kind of do in your own time in your whisper time or in your time when it's kind of quiet at the house and it's just something that's an add-on to a normal life, that's a very, very small idea as it relates to what prayer actually could be and what it is. I want you to consider with me the idea that what's unique about our God, 
What's unique about us as God's kids is that he chose to interact with us way, way back when, when he picked out a certain group and said, this is the group that I'm going to interact with and I'm going to call my own. And all throughout the Old Testament, he says this over and over. He's like, I'm different than all the other gods. And I've been reading Deuteronomy, which is a really beautiful book, for, and I encourage you guys to get It's like a summary book. It like kind of summarizes all that happened before. It's Moses telling his people, hey, you're about to go into the promised land. You're about to go get all of the promises I've, I've kind of set you up for. But I need you to remember what just went down. Because for the last 40 years, the last generation, there was a lot that happened that told us not just a lot about ourselves, but a lot about our God. And in Deuteronomy, Moses recaps these, these highlights, a lot of lowlights, honestly, of the people of Israel and God's interaction. But throughout, there's this stream of God saying, I am different than all the other gods, and you, therefore, have to be different than all the other people. I've been thinking so much, of, like, I, I don't do a lot of news. I don't have time for it. <laughs> I got a lot of, I just don't have a lot of time. Um, and so I'm really careful about what I fill myself up with time-wise. And so I'm, but I am aware, like I, I'm very aware of all the things that are going on. And there's so much that's so loud right now. And I, and it's so loud and there's so many reasons that we could be overly concerned. And when I say overly, it's like shocked and in awe, like kind of taken back and, and in a defensive posture because the culture is so strong and so loud. Um, T.D. Jakes, one time, I heard, I, I've listened to him on and off throughout the years. He said something that was so profound to me. He said, we should never be shocked or amazed when the world acts like the world. That's who they are. We're the only ones that are different. And so when we see the media, and like if you guys saw the Grammys, I didn't, but I heard about it. Like there's, there's, there's really overt things that are starting to happen and be much more in your face around like principles and things that are just really contrary to what God is about, right? It's everywhere, and we're in California, it's everywhere, and it's really strong, it's really loud, and it's like, so I'm always kind of challenged by how much, should, how much time should we spend on that stuff? Like how much time should I like teach and think about those things? And I like to simplify it down to this, like whatever the world's doing is not new, it's not a surprise, and it's not a threat. We are signed up with a God who is other, above, different than, and that is the nature of the call of God on Israel from the very beginning, way, 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 way back when, and it never changed. He is a different God, and we have the ability, by responding to his call, to stepping under his kingship and living not in a bubble, where we're separate from and afraid, but we live with a confidence and a covering and a support system, both on earth and in heaven, where God is standing at attention with his kingdom and he's moving and advancing us forward. And so oftentimes, particularly where we're at, we're here. Guys, it's a tough place to live. It's a tough place to breathe without feeling the effects of all the pressures and anxieties and stresses and moral pressures that we have in our culture. It's hard to live without kind of feeling that at all times, but what God did way, way, way back when, he's like, I see one who's courageous enough to respond only to me and to, to, and to deny the, the pressures and call of the other gods. So in the Old Testament, God said, I'm different than all these other gods. And then he'd name them and he'd say, these are the kind of practices that they did. And it was really like black and white. We read the Old Testament. We're like, look, they made an iron calf. And look, they sacrificed children. Like, and then there's God who's, who's got rules, but he's obviously a good God. So there's this huge contrast. And we're like, oh, that's dark and that's bad. And this is good. I can see when I read the Old Testament how obvious it is that God is like on the good side. We're on the good side. Do you think the gods and the spirits of that day disappeared because we're 6,000 years, 5,000 years, 4,000 years later? Do you think they left the planet? I don't think they did. I actually think the spirit realm is, is still here. It has always been here. We are just in an environment and we were raised in an environment where we, we look 
at darkness, but it seems familiar. And then we look at light, and it seems just a little bit brighter. And that's the challenge that we're in today, because we feel like we have these, these like, we have these pressures, and we're sometimes confused, because it doesn't feel like I can just stand boldly with my God and, and declare his goodness and declare his principles, his moral values, all these things. I can't do it because it's just like, it might offend a lot of people. It just feels wrong. Like, it, it, it's, it's just the lines are very, very close because the, the nature of deception is it's just come closer and closer. They're not sacrificing children today. They're not doing the overt, like, worship of idols. But all of the same principles pulling our attention and our hearts towards things that are not God alone are there. They're just in much more subtle forms. And so I'm reminded that we're, we're in the same lineage that Moses was in. We're of the same tribe and people that Moses called out of Egypt and, and, fought and led out of Egypt. But we're in a new day and we're faced with new challenges and it's really important that we have great allegiance to a king and a kingdom, and we have great discipline, and we're able to decipher that we're clearly on the line that God has called us to be. And I'm not going to give you a list of like, these are the things you should do and not do. I'm actually going to point you to the same process that Moses went through, where Moses became so intimate with God that he could walk with him through all the contradictions that he encountered in the wilderness. He could walk with them through his own people even telling him he was wrong and leading them in the wrong direction. There was a closeness there where it wasn't like God just gave Moses the Ten Commandments and he's like, now Moses, follow me. The Ten Commandments were a very small piece of God and Moses' relationship. Moses and God had been hanging out in really intimate ways for a very long time. The Ten Commandments were like the basic building blocks to create a structure and a society around. God is interested in that Moses relationship for all of us. And that's where I want to point you. I want to point you not like into a legalistic place where you're like, the world is so tough and Jesus is so right. Let's just look at the black and white line. Like if you obey these rules, now you're on the right side of things. If that's that's your measure, you're sliding into a place where the law is, is... is what you're talking about. You're interacting with a new law. The idea is that Moses and everyone that followed Moses, all the prophets, all the judges, then you get to Jesus, then you get to the the followers of Jesus in the New Testament, then you get to those followers in the New Testament once Jesus ascends and they have the Holy Spirit. They're all leaning into the voice and presence of God for themselves. And he's directing and guiding New information every day, but always founded on the same principles and same structures. And so I just, I I want you to know, we're not turning a blind eye to a very compromised world and saying, like, it doesn't matter. It matters very much. It's very loud. Many of your family and friends are just, they're at odds with the purity and the holiness that God calls us to. You might find yourself at times like, I don't know, like, do I need to like abstain from these things or do these things, just understand your call is to get into God's presence and to learn his voice in such a way that you can follow him out of love because you, you know that he is for you, he is with you. You read his word and you're like, oh, this speaks to me. You talk to other people about Jesus and what he's doing in your life and it speaks to you and you, you're drawn closer. You're like, I need to get away from these practices and behaviors and I need to just line myself up over here. And it's, it's this love drawing. It's a relational drawing. It's not a legalistic rule set. It's really fundamental. And so I'm talking to you today about prayer. But I want you to understand something. The, the foundation of God's interaction with people, the God we serve, Yahweh, Jesus, the whole, that, you know, the Bible, that, that God, The idea is he's been talking to us from the beginning, relationally. The the very first glimpse we have is with um, Adam and Eve. You have a a quick snapshot of God's intention that isn't completed with those, those two. You have one there by himself, another one arrives. You lose a rib, boys. They get the other one. 
Sophia likes to call herself my rib. I'm like, that's a big rib, but I guess so. There it is. She's right there, the whole person. Um, we're complete together. The idea is like those two were designed to, to tend to a garden, improve this land that God had given them. It's a snapshot. It's a picture of like, let's redeem the earth together. I'm putting you in this, this special place. I'm protecting you. Now all you have to do is stay true to me and I'll, I'll help you take dominance over this area. Well, you know how that story goes. It doesn't go all that great. Then it comes to Abraham. What is the unique thing about Abraham? He, he follows God. God talks to him. The whole idea of the foundation of the Israelites and Jews are that they follow their forefather, Abraham, who heard God speak to him. Now, tell me, if you're a Christian and you don't feel like you hear from God and you talk to him and there's like dialogue, tell me you're not missing something fundamental to who you, your people are. It really is the whole thing. Now, I'm not trying to say that to like shame you or condemn you. I think there's progression in how we interact and hear from God. But understand this, the whole foundation of what we believe comes from a tradition of people who leaned into their spirit hearing from God and they trusted it beyond what they were hearing and seeing on earth. And so I want to, like, at a very foundational level, as we invite the church into prayer, I'm inviting you into talking to God, like the God of all creation, at a much more, like, fundamental, like, this is normal level, not like a real weird, spooky, spiritual thing. It's, this, is the, this is what we believe. This is who we are. And every single person that the Bible chooses to celebrate Usually, it's because they had great faith towards the things God told them. So how did he tell them? Just like he tells you. Like the same way. I wish it were different. I wish, like, at a certain point in history, God's like, all right, this generation, starting from Vince was born in 1978, right there, he's now going to get in-person conversations from this point forward. And he's going to change the world as a result. And... And like, I need to get, so, so, so often we're like, I need to figure out how I can have an encounter or an experience like that person who's become a hero in my life so that I could then do great things and be a great spiritual person and do great stuff with God. But unfortunately, we're in the same lineage as Abraham, Moses, all the disciples where it's an invisible spirit realm, it's a visible natural realm, and we're forced to give more weight to our spirit than we are our natural. It's very challenging. Can you guys all like acknowledge like it's kind of tricky to 100% of the time like be like spiritual when you should not be natural? Look at your neighbor. Do you think they're like 100% or 80%? Like, like give, them, give them a percentage. Just give them like I assess you are 12%. You can give them 12%. Okay, 82%. Who's over 50%? Is there any 50%ers? Like, is the Elkin is 77%. That's pretty good, Elkin. <laughs> it's, it's really obvious that we don't start out 100% like spiritual, right? We do start out with the spirit. We do start out with the same tool set that we have as adults. But there's a, there's a maturation, a progression that we have to go through. What we see when we celebrate people like Moses in the Bible is we see people who got more and more devoted to the following of their spirit and less and less devoted to the natural things that they probably could have chosen to do. And so I want to I highlight... Moses a bit. I wrote this one line. I want you guys to hear this. At a young age, Moses surrendered his natural privilege to advocate for a people who would eventually, who God would eventually ask him to abandon. Moses refused and God listened. I caught this as I was reading Deuteronomy. There's a moment, and we're going to read it in chapter 9, where God gives Moses the same option he gave Noah. And Moses declined it. And so I want to read it. I just, I'm so fascinated by it. But I want you to focus in on this, this idea. If we're going to interact with God effectively, 
If we're going to become the full versions of who God made us to be, where we, we have an effect on earth in the natural and in the spiritual, where we, we change patterns, not only in our family, but in other families, we bring God's kingdom in a way that's more significant than just being a good citizen, then we have to ascend to a level of interaction with God that's higher than we just normally and naturally would. I really feel like there's, there's this beautiful thing with the Bible where it highlights these, these names and, and they give us these brief, brief glimpses of, of their story. But the crazy thing is it's like there's these huge gaps. You get Abraham and then you, you know Isaac, Jacob. You, you get those, that story where you have that three generations in a row. But then you start jumping to like this judge. Then you start jumping to this prophet and to this prophet, like individuals. And then you get, even in the New Testament, you have like, we could probably name them. Like 12, 18, 20 people we really focus in and celebrate. I think about the, the, the time between these moments when God reaches down, he's like, that's a hero. That's someone who really was used to affect a generation. And then there's these gaps. I just, I, at the heart of me, at the very core of me, I sincerely believe each of us are afforded the opportunity to be heroic at that level. But I think there's something very serious and different about the ones who went as far as they were required to go to be heroic. And so Moses is different, and I want to highlight his difference because what we're endeavoring to do as a church is we're, we want to learn how to pray. You say, well, I pray. I've prayed forever. I'm a praying person. Okay. All right. When Moses prayed, he changed God's mind, and it changed the destiny of an entire group of people. One person. One person. It only requires one person. And if you look through the history of the Bible, it was one person that God would use to affect not just an individual, because that's where our culture wants to go, and that's where our Christianity is comfortable. It's like, I'm going to be nice to my coworkers. Connie works with me, so she can, tr she can attest that I'm not nice to any of my coworkers. So it's like, for me, it's an endeavor. Like, I have to work at being nice. So it's like, my spiritual goal is to be nice to my coworkers, therefore I'm a Christian, and I've been a good Christian, and I'll, I'll retire and I'll provide for my family, that's biblical, right? And I am, like, fulfilled my duty as, like, head of the household or whatever. Like, you start to define yourself by what you feel is accessible to you. Like, if I am a little bit better, if I stretch maybe to the end of my reach, my human reach, I'll probably affect my world this much. Moses is like, he's in another time zone with how much he affects his world. So there's something that happens in his life where he, he transforms into, I'm just going to say he's like he's a spiritual hero, and then we're going to get into the why. But I want, you to, I want you to think for a moment, have you written yourself off as being capable of being a spiritual hero? Are you a survivor, and that's it? Like, you're, you're, you're like writing out your story, and you're like, Vince survived his 78 years, and he's now in heaven. <laughs> like, like, awesome. Congratulations. I am proud of Vince. Or you're like, Vince survived and he, he really helped that one person when he was 27. But then it got hard. <laughs> All these kids showed up and work was a little busy and like, it just was, you know, it was, it got rough and we're just really proud that he made it to the end. Like, like what? <laughs> Congrats, is that it? Like, like, it's a good moment right now right now, today, is a really good moment to, to ask yourself the question, have I, am, I, am I selling myself short on what the rest of this, this story can be? Because I think it's not about you having a perfect vision or a perfect idea of how you're going to get there. I think it's more about you having great faith that anything God invites you into, he can accomplish through you because that's who he is. I think that's the shift that has to happen, and it's always tested it's tested because I think all of us start there and we say, God could do great things with me. Like once you encounter him or, or have this moment of transformation and you're like, God, he's big and he interacted with me. He loves me. Wow, this could be great. 
Then there's this process of like, okay, he invites you into more, and he, he cleans you up. He like takes away things, and he's like, all right, now come on, keep coming, keep coming. And he'll say, okay, I want to call you into this. And you go, oh, that's big. That's, that's in my heart, though. I like that. That feels good. And then there's a process to go through in order to actually achieve those things. But this is where we often stumble and stall. Because the process is just hard. And it's nasty and it hurts a little bit. Because it's a test. And it's like he sends us out into the desert and we march around for a few years. And you're like, okay, you're number one. It's pretty clear we're going somewhere. You're number two. You're like, okay, this, I thought we were here last year but maybe I'm bad with directions. Like, okay, you're number three, and this is your life I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about salvation. Like, I'm talking about deliverance from the place you were when he found you with a destination in mind that he has, but it requires absolute surrender in order to get there. But it takes as long as it takes and your faith never wanes. And so I wanna ask you guys in this moment, are you selling yourself short because the little kid dreams, or maybe the teenager dreams, or the early 20 dreams, or maybe it was recently, but they just feel too big based on where your path has taken you. You're like, Vince, I have five kids. You have no idea. I have an idea. I totally know what you mean, Elkin. It's not easy when you got five kids. I'm like, I can't even breathe, let alone do anything. Like, he's crazy. Like, the story, your story is real. He knew where you were going, and he knew about your family. He knew about your work life. He knew about your health. He knew about all of it. And he still put a dream in your heart that was bigger. And he's just seeing, do you have faith and trust to continue to go with me and yes, it requires everything. I really believe, like I, I prayed this when we started today. I've seen this image over the years so many times where Jesus is looking out of heaven at me. Like he's just looking down. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. And usually it's when things are going really badly. <laughs> in my estimation. It's like this is a really hard moment in my life. And you're proud but you're not resolving, right? Like, are you proud and therefore you're going to fix it? <laughs> or are you just smiling and you're proud? <laughs> and a lot of times he's just smiling and he's proud. And he may say, I haven't forgotten, but I'm proud of you. And the I haven't forgotten are the big dreams when I surrendered my life to him and said, God, get the whole thing. And the big dreams came, and it's like, you're going to do these amazing things you've dreamt of in the Bible and with other heroes you have. That's you. That's who I've made you to be. That's you. But there's these years, and there's these challenges. And, and Jesus will not change his standards for you. He will raise you to his standard. He will not relent and say, well, I have to accomplish this, therefore I'll use a compromised person because I just have to get this thing done. <laughs> see, that's the thing where God so consistently throughout Scripture, and we see it really strongly in Deuteronomy, he won't compromise his standards. And he won't let a compromised version of you sit in the highest seat he's designed for you. He'll bring you to fifth grade, and he's like, you're not moving anywhere near sixth grade. You're not even getting close to that classroom until you figure out these things we're working through right now. You can't even add. <laughs> He's like, you want to go to sixth grade? You can't do math. You're going to stay here until you figure it out. And he's unrelenting in his standards because he knows if he lets you there, it will destroy you. He also knows that faith is, is the substance of everything that matters in his kingdom. And you constantly looking at like where you dreamt of going and then and looking at your own circumstance and then looking at your own qualification, you being in a position where you say, I don't see it happening, and you're forgetting 
when he gave you the vision, when he, when he started the dream, it was 100% faith. It was never supposed to become, never supposed to become, English, never supposed to become 80% you and 20% faith. It's like, oh, I got the qualifications now, I'm ready. He's like, well, no, you're going to go around the mountain 40 more years. You don't get it. I don't need the qualification. I need heroic faith. And so I want to teach you guys how to pray, okay? And I want you to humbly say, I want to learn how to pray. I don't want you to say, I know how. I don't want you to say, I've learned from other people or I have great models. I want you to say, what is God saying in our season as a church that he wants to lead us into? And I want you to say, I want that. I want to develop that. And so I'll tell you, the first thing he's saying is, is prayer begins with the relationship where you and God, like Moses and God, just talked all the time. Way before you had to do anything in public, Moses is talking to God. Um, I'm going to read that, that line again because I want you to, to kind of get the gravity of what Moses went through in order to become someone that could change God's mind. Um, At a young age, Moses surrendered his natural privilege to advocate for a people God would eventually ask him to abandon. Moses refused and God listened. All right. I'll tell you the story of Moses in like two minutes. The story of Moses is he was the the son of a, a slave, a Jewish slave, that was in captivity under the Egyptians. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says when they went into captivity, there were 70 of them. I had never caught that. I don't, I just, I don't know if you guys knew that. It seemed like there had to have been a lot more. But it says, like, you, you eventually end up hearing, it's like you've multiplied, like, the stars in the sky. It's like they had a lot of kids when they were in, in captivity. So if you ever become, yeah, okay. All right, move on. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't relate at all. I was just fascinated there were 70 of them when they went in. So he's, he's the child of, of not one of the first 70, but eventually there's a lot. And that's what, that's what we hear in the scripture when it's like the, most, no, ah, the Pharaoh and those guys start to become concerned because there's so many Israelites. Like there's a lot of them now. We're actually concerned that there's so many. So you go through this process where you don't give them straw for their bricks and they make their lives harder just to keep them kind of under them. So at any rate, Moses is one of those children and this is what happens in his generation. It's the same thing that's happened in yours. The, the Pharaoh makes a decree that we're going to wipe out all the men in this group. We're going to take them all out. And so the mother of Moses puts him downstream and says, like, I don't want my son to die. I want him to live. And so she puts him downstream and the the daughter of Pharaoh takes him, and you guys probably have watched the movie. You know the story, right? Um, no, you've all read your Bibles. That's the right answer. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so she, they, they, he's, he's a prince. He's in the, like, the, like the Pharaoh's courts. Like he's raised with that education. He's raised with that privilege. And while, yes, the Jews were poor and slaves, Egypt was also, like this is way back, Big economy, big world, but there's still a lot of poverty in that world. He's in the most elite class, most wealthy, most educated, most favored in that whole region. And Egypt's a big deal at this point. This is a trading center. This is a lot of economic activity and academic and spiritual. There's a lot going on in that arena. And so he's one of them. He's like one of the top tier. But he's watching his fellow Jews be enslaved. And there's something in him that says, I can't tolerate this. I have to advocate for these people. And you know the story. He goes and he like kills an Egyptian and then he flees. But just think about that moment. There's something in him that was visionary and big. And it took him over But then there's this process that you guys know. He flees for his life, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's reestablishing his identity. If you can imagine God having an elite, like, in society, educated, knows the language, knows the people, 
has influence already. Don't you think if it were up to you, you'd go, let's just use him while he's here. Let's have him infiltrate the political system. Let's manipulate things to where he becomes in power in some way or he's in the right hand and he just talks the Jews like right out of slavery and it, it's like this economic wonder worker and God wins, we win. No, 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 no. That wasn't the story at all. He actually takes this highly capable, highly influential, very successful in his world person, and he puts him out in the wilderness, out like herding sheep, and he finds a lady and starts a family in the middle of like nowhere. And that goes on for 40 years. (laughs) Talk about a tough story. It's a long story, but you guys know it's just beginning for Moses. Like, it's just starting. That seed of who Moses was when this all started that actually provoked him to advocate for his people, it remained in him, and it was something God had put in him from the earliest of earliest days. And he he had planted that in him, but he sent him through a process where the true surrender of who he was had to occur. See, he hadn't surrendered himself when he went and killed a man in the name of justice. You say, well, he was a righteous guy doing God's work. He was out there fighting. Well, it's like, no, God actually hadn't even begun the process of refining him yet. So he sends him away, and then he meets him with the burning bush, and he says, you have to go back. By the time he says, you have to go back, Moses' response is, I can't even speak. Do you think he'd forgotten how to speak in the 40 years? Of course he can speak. He's, he's, he's to the lowest and smallest version of himself. He's a shepherd with a small family in the desert. He'd been a prince among princes. And he says, I, I, I can't even speak. But he says, okay, I'll, I'll go back. And you guys know the story. It's this radical story of God's miraculous intervention to turn the heart of Pharaoh so that the Israelites could go. For 40 years, God and Moses had some level of interaction. We don't get that whole story. But once they begin, we get this picture of Moses leading the Israelites out, all the miracles that allow it to happen. And then there's this Moses meeting God in a tent every day for the next 40 years. 40 years. And this is a relationship that is unlike any relationship. Because it's extreme now. Like this is, we've been chased by, by the enemy, like with soldiers and warriors. We've seen your miraculous intervention. We've seen all, all these great works. But Moses is in a place at this point where if I'm him, I'm pretty much like I'm the king. <laughs> God, you're God, and you've made me like the king. And these are all my people. Can we go settle down somewhere and like live happily ever after? And this is the journey they're on. And the people, though, are pretty rough. And so on De- Deuteronomy 9, let me read this. this is, so this is, they'd gotten out. They are running across the desert. They finally come after they've wandered around the desert for a while. I don't know what you guys have up there. Okay, perfect. Um, And God says to the Israelites, I want you to go in now and take the promised land. And the Israelites, it's not up here, so I'll just tell you. The Israelites, their response is, no, you've sent us here to die. The the enemies in this land are too big. So their their heart posture, was they'd forgotten everything that God had done. And God is just incensed with them. He's like, you guys, he calls them a stiff-necked people, like... That's, that's, you should use that one if you really hate someone. Like, you're a stiff-necked person. That's, like, that's what God was like. This is just absolutely unbelievable. And, and God says this. He says, Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I've seen this people, and indeed they're stiff-necked. Leave, let me alone, that I might destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. I just, this snapshot... Like, I, I feel like if you just think about this little picture right here for the rest of this week, just think about this moment. Think about you in this moment, knowing your history of bringing you and your family to the moment you're in, f- sacrificing your whole life 
for these people. And then at the moment where we're finally, it's time for us to transition. And it's been a process, but we're here now. And it's like God's inheritance is right in front of you. Your whole team just turns on you. And they're like, you and him are awful. You've sent us out here to die. This was a bad plan from the beginning. There's no way we're going in. And God's like, hey, Moses, look, we've been together a long time. Can we just kill them all? <laughs> can, we, can we just wipe them out? I'll start over with you. You can have a thousand kids. It'll be great. And they'll all, it'll be like the Mosesites, not the Israelites. It'll just be like, we'll start over. I did it once before with Noah. It worked out fine. Like, this is, I, I know how to do this. It'll be nicer this time. It, this is going to work. Moses' response here is just absolutely otherworldly to me. And this is where I want to invite you guys into, like, principle number one. If we're going to be effective in prayer, we have to be Moses-like with our hearts. Moses' response was no. And he begins to remind God of his love for his people. And he begins to remind God of all that he's already done for his people. And he says, please, God, no. Don't take them out and make me the king. Love them. Forgive them. And let's move forward just like you promised. Eventually, God is like, stop talking to me about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I won't kill him. Thanks. Thanks. Like, that's, that's really kind of the moral of the story. God's like, all right. Forget it. I won't kill them. It's okay. Let's go. And they basically start going around the wilderness again. For I don't know. I don't know the year breakdown. Does anybody know? This is pretty technical. Old Testament stuff. Well, I know it's forty total, but like, I don't know what year this interaction was at. But it was a number of years further. Um, fast forward. You have the Ten Commandments scene. I, I'm not going to go into it in detail. I, I just encourage you guys to read. Let me give you those scriptures. Go to the next one. I'll, maybe I, I'll read that. Okay. All right, let's read this really quick. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O oh Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Okay, can you imagine like before this, anyone having this kind of dialogue with God? And I will highlight, it's, it's written as dialogue because it was. And I want you guys to understand, if you don't have dialogue with God where it's back and forth, you're, you're not... You're not there yet, and I'm not telling you you're less than. I'm telling you there's more to this life. There's more to your spiritual walk where God wants this interaction with you. This is the whole point of the Holy Spirit and Jesus dying for you so that you could have access to God in the same ways that these guys did. So be inspired by this. Don't be condemned by it. All right, go to the next one. Is there a next one? Ah, oh, come on, Michael, go to the next one. All right, <laughs> it's in here, sorry. Um, No, 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 don't, yeah, I'll, let's see if I can figure it out. All right, go to, go to Deuteronomy 9, 13, that's, that's the last one. I'm going to tell you guys that scripture, and I'll just encourage you guys to read it. Deuteronomy, read the whole chapter of Deuteronomy. In that chapter, what he does is he highlights two instances where he goes up the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments. He goes up, and the, the, the irony of the whole thing, he goes up, he's up there for 40 days, at the end of it, God gives him the stone tablets, and he's like, you better get back down there. It's not going so well. What's the first commandment on the Ten Commandments? Like, you'll have no other gods before me. He comes back down the hill, and they are worshiping another god that they'd made with their hands. <laughs> so, and so Moses' Moses's response, and one of the things that I love about this interaction, Moses responds in the same way that God would have. He, he realizes, like, the covenant God had just intended to make with them, they've already broken, and we have to start over. Like he sees the significance of what's going on. These people's hearts aren't connected to God in the way mine is. But what does he do? He breaks it. He breaks the commandments. He gets the calf. He grinds it down. He throws it in the river. And then it says he lays on the ground for 40 days and 40 nights. And he prays that God would spare them because he could feel God's anger towards them. 
Moses had become so close to God that like he was anticipating his next move because he knew who he had been spending time with. And so here's my question to you. How do you become like an effective prayer person? The first thing you do is you have to be able to have a relationship with him where you talk. If you're struggling with like, does he hear me? Just trust me, he hears everything that you say. The next thing that you really are probably struggling with is like, do I deserve to hear him? That's the core of it. And I'll just tell you, if you've accepted Jesus, you say, Jesus, you died for me, then you deserve to hear him. That's it. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. He loves you, he's proud of you, and he's for you. And so you're talking to him, expect him to talk back. And if he's not, just continue to talk to him. (laughs) You have a monologue until it turns into a dialogue. It's not a bad way to go. Some of you just do monologues all the time anyway. I've seen you. You're like, oh, no, Vince is coming. He's just going to talk to me until I leave. I get it. Um, but but it, it will turn into a dialogue if you have the right posture towards him. The next thing, how do you pray effective prayers? You have to pray prayers that are in agreement with the heart and nature of God. And so Abraham was not praying for his own kingdom to be established. That's, that's obvious because God offered it to him. And so what his prayers were, it was for the advancement of his, God's people. And so that as a focal point for who we are and how we pray is we have to pray for the advancement of God's people. We have to pray for the freedom of God's people, the deliverance of God's people, God's miracle working power among God's people. We can't pray prayers like, oh God, help me over and over and over. I get, you know, like if I just, that's, that's the prayer, right? That God help me. And then you have like 500 pages of how he could help you. Like, you guys know, like, you've read that novel for, like, the last 10 years. Like, God hasn't helped me in chapter 1, but maybe he can help me in chapter 5 today. I'm really getting a great prayer life going here. It's like I have all of this detail and all of these concerns, but Moses wasn't before him with his concerns. He was before him with the people of God, and he was standing in the gap. He was an advocate for the people of God. And so I want you guys as a foundation, you say, well, I don't hear from God, and he doesn't talk to me. I want you to begin to pray for someone that's not you. That's, that's, there's my direction. It's really profound. Just pray for someone that's not you. Dedicate time to God, focusing in you talking to him about people that aren't you. And see if that doesn't turn into something that's more dialogue than monologue. Because his heart is to take you above the position you're in. Moses lived and had a life where he could have been king, but he chose to give that away by doing what he did. And then God in his wisdom was like, we can, we can start over. And Moses was like, no, we're different now. Like I've been with you long enough. It's not about me ascending. It's about you and your purpose here on earth. And I know your purpose is to establish like a mighty kingdom through these people. It's not about me being the like, top of the tree. And so as you think about your situations and your circumstances, you think about your kids or your family, you think about your dreams of ascending, and that's not a negative, right? He's given you a vision. We started with this. Like, but there's a lot of faith involved. The, the recipe for, for making that progress and seeing those changes is by getting your eyes off of yourself and getting your heart connected with him and starting to align with him and remind him of his goodness, not only over you, but over all the things that come up in your heart for other people. We as a church are going to begin to pray weekly. We've done that. But our prayers are going to shift more intensely towards blessing others and focusing on God moving in our city, God moving in our state, God moving in our region. We really feel like this is a place where I want people to come, be empowered, and then they're supposed to go. You're supposed to go live amazing lives. You're not called to live in this church for your whole life. Some of you will, but most of you are, God is sending, and that's his desire for you. So we want to empower, but we want to empower people to go with a vision for empowering other people and blessing other people for them to be fruitful and for God's will to be done. And I just, the hardest part of all of this, and I'll tell you from personal experience, is that God will spend years with you teaching you to get your mind off yourself. Until you do, you'll stay there, and you really won't be effective in prayer. I know that seems like a little odd, but the truth is, until your heart is aligned with his, 
And it's like, you're really arm in arm, and, and, and when you speak, it's as if he's speaking. Your prayers are just your ideas. And the thing that, that Jesus said, he's like, when they said, teach us how to pray, he's like, our Father. The very first word is our. It's not about you. It's about us. Like, he's calling our attention to this greater group, and that's who we are. And that's where our prayer life needs to focus and, and be fundamentally focused on. Um, I want to challenge you guys because to me, our, our Christian culture isn't necessarily working all that well. Our Christian routines aren't working all that well. When I see our society like steering so aggressively with like all this fanfare around lifestyles and things that really are destructive to family and destructive to like connectivity with God, it's not new. Like these patterns are every generation. They're all throughout the Bible. If you study history, like every culture, they have all the same stuff going on that we do now. So it's not a threat. Like I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it for any of you. It's not bigger than God. It's not bigger than his intentions towards you. But when you see our culture like diving really aggressively off course, it's really important that we get in line with a God who demands that people line up with him. And we do it like with absolute abandon. And we're super aware of ourselves. We're aware of what our loyalties are, are like attached to. You're like, I love Rihanna. Like, what do you mean? Like, I listen to Rihanna all day long. It's like, okay, why, why do you love Rihanna so much? Why, Elkin? Like, why? I'm not off topic, I promise. What? Like, what is it about Rihanna that, like, just feeds your soul? <laughs> Why are you attached to that music? Why are you attached to, like, think about it. Think about it. Get into it. Understand it. And you'll find that there's, like, she's coming from a place that's probably not the same place that Jesus is coming from. And so until you start to mature and discern, like, oh, I'm actually, like, filling my life up and my thought life up with, ideas and things that are that are rooted in a place that Jesus is actually opposed to it's not the person we all love Rihanna as a person it's it's the spirit behind the person it's what they've aligned with and you say well that's I don't struggle with music it's like okay politically like it's not about Democrat or Republican it's just like what is what is strong in you that is opposite the simple truths that Jesus gave. And until you can start to be really aggressively honest and go, I don't want anything in me. I don't want anything in me. I, in fact, I don't even know what's in me. So I'm, I'm going to endeavor to cleanse my life and let God add things back in. Because I'm not smart enough or I don't have enough discernment to even like know, you know, maybe this alliance with this this way of thinking, maybe it's not great, I don't know, but I'm just going to take a break from it. I'm going to feed myself with what I know is true. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to fill myself with worship music and praise music. I'm going to surround myself with friends that are like strong in the Lord. And I'm going to devote myself to like the, the maturing of my own faith and my own awareness in God. And when I start to do that with like a, a dedication and a seriousness, I'll start to realize like I... I have a long way to go. Purity is something that God demanded of Moses and his people. God's reaction to the Israelites, I promise they were loving family people when they were out in that desert. I promise they were surviving together as a community and they did have each other's best interest at heart. But there was spiritual things at work that had followed them from Egypt that they never got rid of. And God was keen on it, and he would say over and over, don't, don't worship any other gods. Don't let anything else tell you it's at my level or near my level. I am above all of it, and you can only have eyes for me. If you allow compromise to come in and you entertain these things, it will, it will uproot all the good that I have going in your life. In 1906, and I'll close with this, um, the Azusa Street Revival happened. It was in Southern California. Um, Seymour 
I'm forgetting his first name. William. William Seymour uh, came. He had visited Kansas, and he came here, and he felt like uh, baptism and speaking in tongues was like an evidence that, that God was, was uh, in, in a person, and, and it was for today. It was a big kind of new thing because it hadn't been really active in the church for a long time. Interestingly, he didn't have it when he came back. He just believed it. Um, but he, he just kind of started prayer meetings at his house, and then it became at a church. And the Holy Spirit came in 1906 down there, and it became like a regional, international thing. And people would come, white, black, at a time when segregation in Southern California was strong. I mean, we, they weren't allowed to be together, and they, everyone was coming from every ethnicity, and they were worshiping together, and God's presence was so strong that it was like, we don't care, we're here for this. And they were getting filled with speaking in tongues, and it was, it's, you guys have probably heard of that. Um, what was also going on at that time is a huge part of their preaching and teaching was about holiness. It was also called the holiness movement. And I just think it's really interesting that at a time where our culture is shifting so aggressively towards just do what you feel is right. You know, just like, like to really simplify it, like just do what you feel is right. Nobody should be able to tell you what to do. We, we have signed up for a life where we're like God tells us what's right. And we live within that parameter, and then we're blessed. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, God's told us what's right. We get into that, and, and then that's when he can show favor and, and really bless us. It requires some faith, and it's not always like one for one. I give him a dollar, he gives me one back. It's like, you get in, it's not math, it's, it's faith, it's relationship, it's trust. But at a time where our culture is like, you should really just do what you want, there's a lot of Christians that are like, just do what you want. Like, God will bless you. He loves you. I, I just think that what happened in 1906, when God sovereignly moved in a way that it, it sparked what became known as the, um, like, the charis not the charismatic movement, but, like, yeah, it's Pentecostalism. That's, that's the right word for it. Pentecostalism has now spread all throughout the world. It's the largest, like, expression of faith in the world. Um, it started out of one, like, small church like this. It was small like this. And it was a black preacher in a multi-ethnic uh, multi congregation. And they all had a very high value for holiness. It was like, separate yourself from, like, anything that's not good. I think that there's something that's going to happen in this season where God calls on people. God never stops loving anybody. But, like, he calls on this church, and he's like, hey, I want you to come closer to me, like, in a more intimate way, kind of like what Moses did. I want you just to, we don't even need to talk about all the other stuff. I'm not focused on them or what other people choose to do. They've always been doing this. I'm just calling you forward, and I want you just to drop everything that's in your hands right now. I want you to drop your passions. Like, I want you to drop your intensity around certain topics. I even want you to kind of hand over your vision for your life and your dreams. And I just want you to come closer, and I want you to start talking to me as if we're friends. And as you come closer to me, you're going to find that I, I, holiness is like who I am. First Peter, or Peter, yeah, First Peter 1, 16, it says, like, be holy because I'm holy. Like, it's just kind of fundamental to who he is, and his ex expectation of you is that you'll do the same because he is. It's like, well, why would you do the same because he is? It's like, like my wife going like, well, like vegetarian food because I like vegetarian food. Like, you go, well, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I like meat. Well, it's like, actually, I love her. And I want to be closer to her and I actually want her to be happier as often as I can make her happy. I'm even willing to eat vegetarian food at times because it... It's just easier for both of us. It's a simple expression of love. Like, watch this romantic comedy with me. Like, <laughs> oh, that's a terrible idea. But that's what she likes, so I, I do the little things of love. It's like, all right, change baby's diaper. Okay, all right, like, you guys get that. You get the picture. Like, I give of myself because love draws me. Not because she's like, I'll never speak to you if you don't eat vegetarian food. Like, I have rules. 
and you don't cross these lines unless you like follow my rules. God's love for us like draws us to him and then as we start to apprehend him and see him and feel him, we'll also be more aware that's like, <laughs> it's like I'm with you, Jesus. Let me turn Rihanna on. <laughs> like, how many of you have ever done that? Oh, you guys are looking at me all crazy. I, I have nothing. I got nothing against Rihanna. I just like the logic here. It's like, what music would you turn on when Jesus walked in the room? Would you turn on what you're listening to in the car, or would you turn it off because he sat down next to you? Because you're like, oh, this doesn't match, right? Like, there's something that's not. I use music because it's super simple, but it's really a, it's a fundamental thing. Artists. Um, create art out of a spirit, out of their creativity, but it's a combination of their spirit man and their creativity. And so oftentimes when we're listening to music that's out of a spirit that's not, not good, sometimes we find ourselves fond of it because we actually struggle with that same spirit. It's familiar. And so, but that same logic applies to so many different things that we participate in in life. And we're, we're challenged because we we want to force our likes and our wants into the relationship with him, but love tells me I should just drop this. It's not important. I actually don't need it anymore because I am more interested in this relationship advancing. And so I just want to challenge you guys. This, this is not a beginner message. This isn't an idea where it's like once you become a Christian, you should clean up your life. This is actually a mature Christian message where I start to hold myself to a higher and higher standard so that nothing in my life could compromise him walking into the room at any time. I do not want to make my love come in the room and go, oh, please turn that off. We've talked about this. This is rough. Like, I want to be with you, and I just, you just know I can't talk about it. Like, we can't. That's my job. That's my job. I want to create an environment in my mind and in my heart where I'm holy because he's holy. But it has to be motivated by love. Like, I have to be turned to him and going, I'm going to talk to you about everything that's going on. I'm going to, I'm going to initiate a Moses-like relationship with you. And as I do that, I'll find that I've got to leave some things outside. And guys, I'll challenge you. If you feel convicted and prompted by God, and it may be things you're like, nobody else gives these things up, give them up. Give them up. Don't hesitate. Give them up. Because it's him pushing a button in your heart that only he can push because he knows what it's tied to. He'll tell you to give up the weirdest things. It's not about like he's just getting us all on the same page. It's not that like you guys all need to live my way. It's that he has your life in mind. And if you feel his conviction and draw or challenge in any area, music, art, friend, activity, I've given everything up at different seasons in my life. And every time I was like, why on earth are you making me give this relationship away? And years later, he'd be like, let me tell you about that one. Thank you for trusting me and walking away. This is what would have happened, or this is what was there that was keeping you bound to that person. And so it's his wisdom, it's his, his way only. Like he's the king, he's a good king, but he's king. And so I want to invite you guys into a season where I believe God wants to visit this church in ways that were similar to what they experienced at Azusa. And what was required of the people in that day, not because the preacher made them, it was that holiness was a fundamental piece of who they were. They just said, I want to let it all go, and I want to pursue a life with him, and I believe there's more. It's that simple, and that allowed them to step into rooms they weren't allowed to step in prior. And I would just challenge you for yourselves, like, raise the bar. Raise the bar because he will always give you more than you give up. Always. Um, but in doing that, um, you're stepping into a great history of heroes. You're supposed to be a hero. You're supposed to not just make a generation, like, better by being a good citizen. You're supposed to make a significant change in the spirit realm and in the natural realm because of your great courage and leaning into Jesus and leaning into his voice. And so I just want to encourage you guys, let's, let's this week talk to him more. When you're alone, when, you're, when you can set time aside, just talk to him about your concerns for a moment. 
but for others, more. That'll be the measure. Did I give a little bit more time to other things than myself or my circumstance? And I think that that'll be a pattern we begin to kind of call on week after week. And as we pray in the mornings, we're praying for him to come. And we're praying for him to come to this region. And I really want you guys to hear this. If one of you gets it, maybe you're the Moses. That God says, this is the one that finally overcame this crazy story. He knows your story, but maybe you're the Moses that someone or some people group is waiting for. And I really hope that more than one of us take that call. And we just kind of really engage because I think he's going to do some amazing things. Let me, let me pray for you and bless you. Father, I thank you so much for these amazing people. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for the tenderness of their hearts. I could see your hand on each of them today. You can see your fire kind of just beginning to gently rest on each one. It's a, it's a holiness, God. It's that spirit of holiness that would just come and call them to higher living, higher expectations, and be drawn by great love for you. I pray that in that drawing and in those surrenders that they make throughout this week, that they would be compensated with great love from you, God. That they would see that picture of you leaning over heaven, talking to them, saying, you're so, so proud. You're so, so confident in who they are and your dreams for them. None of those dreams are lost. They're very, very good things ahead. So God, I pray that this week you would begin to spark our hearts towards prayer in a much more bold, intercessory way where we stand on behalf of others and we stand with great confidence knowing that we can talk like friends. And we thank you, Jesus, for making this possible for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. See, it's been a long time. I enjoyed talking to you guys. That was so fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. We'll be back. So next week, we got 9 o'clock prayer. Love to see you then. Awesome kids stuff going on next week as well. Have a nice day. Love you guys.